tonight on Inter Sessions. Teresa Zoe Williams on Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. Catherine Addington on Raphael Arnaiz Barone. And Kayla Garcher on Saint Augustine. The Saints are real. The Saints are here. The Saints can help. This is Intercessions. My name is Teresa Zoe Williams, and I'm a freelance writer. Today I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite saints, St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. In college, I was part of a women's group similar to a sorority, but focused on Christ. In my household, when you were inducted, a saint was chosen for you to be your patron. Everyone who joins gets a different saint. It was so exciting to me because I love the saints and I love names. My parents even gave me two middle names at birth, and I even added my confirmation saint's name as part of my legal name, too. So this time around, I was hoping for an obscure saint with a name I could take as part of my own. Saint Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart is a more obscure Italian Carmelite saint who has been called the forerunner of the little way of Saint Therese, who is my patroness. So Teresa Margaret had a very similar spirituality to my already patron, and we shared a name. To say I was a little disappointed is an understatement. But my disappointment was mostly short-lived as I quickly found a connection with Therese Margaret. I was gifted a little booklet about her life and later came across her biography. She was much more quick-tempered than I am and was into parties and clothes, whereas I prefer books and sports and punk rock music. Where I have trouble speaking up, she had trouble holding her tongue. But the one area in which we are similar is our burning desire to know, understand, and accept the love of God. That desire for God spurred me on to read more about her. One story in her biography still stands out to me. As a personal penance while she was still living at home, Teresa Margaret would eat only the blandest foods, sacrificing her delight in food for those who went hungry. One time, though, a beautiful meal was prepared for her, but she refused to eat it, saying that it was much too fancy for her. Her mother became so angry with her and scolded her, telling her that it was rude to refuse food prepared for her with such care. Then and there, Teresa Margaret resolved to eat whatever was given to her, no matter how bland or flavorful or whether or not she liked the dish. She found that the true offering was in accepting what is given to you and doing good with it. Teresa Margaret took this resolve with her into the cloistered Carmelite convent in Florence. One of the nuns recounted a time when Teresa Margaret was very ill and could not eat the food brought to her. The nun told her that she needed to eat to get healthy and then stepped out for a minute. When she returned a few minutes later, the plate was clean Teresa Margaret had eaten all of the food. When asked why, she said she did so out of obedience to her superior and out of gratitude to God for her life. That's how Teresa Margaret and I finally clicked, through the desire to accept the things we cannot change and do good with them. I didn't take her name on as part of my own, 
but I did take on a discipline of hers as my own. I was able to visit her incorrupt body, kept at her cloistered convent in Florence, Italy. And I thanked her for just keeping at it, even though there was very little chance of reward or recognition. Even as a canonized saint, she isn't well known. I also asked her not to abandon me on my walk to God, and in return, I would forever be devoted to her. Two little known Teresas walking hand in hand to God. I like that. I pray that all of us, unknown or household names, can pursue God and let ourselves be pursued by Him through the things we can change and the things we cannot. My name is Katherine Addington. I'm a graduate student working on my PhD in Spanish at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Today, I'm going to tell you about how I became friends with Saint Rafael Arnaiz Peron. If you've never heard of him before, don't worry. I hadn't either until divine providence made us cross paths. See, about two years ago, I went to a nearby Trappist monastery looking for a spiritual director. Instead, when the nuns there heard I specialize in translation from Spanish to English, they asked me to translate the writings of the first ever Trappist saint, a young Spanish monk of the early 20th century named Rafael Arnaiz Baron. And I accepted, because what were the odds that another Spanish translator was going to come through this tiny monastery in the Blue Ridge foothills? But as it turned out, Rafael was the quarantine companion I didn't know I was going to need. Maybe he'll be a good one for you, too. When Rafael entered a Trappist monastery at the age of 22, he was overjoyed to leave everything behind for the sake of Jesus. But as he soon learned, he hadn't actually left everything behind. Just a few short months into his religious life, Rafael came down with a nearly fatal case of diabetes that forced him to leave the monastery. While adjusting to life with his illness, he held on to his conviction regarding his monastic vocation. But he also knew the monastery's strict diet and routine wouldn't be conducive to his health. So he wrote to his religious superior, asking to return not as a monk, but as an oblate, a lay member of a monastery who doesn't take vows and observes an adapted version of the monastic schedule. As the eldest son of a rich family, becoming a monastic oblate would be seen as a huge step down socially. In fact, at his monastery, only children being educated there were admitted as oblates. And he definitely experienced it as a humiliation, but not because he felt entitled to a higher status. Rather, he was embarrassed that he couldn't help his brothers by working in the fields and chanting the full office. Nevertheless, he came to understand his vocation as an oblate as totally essential to his holiness. In a letter to his uncle, Raphael wrote, the Lord has frustrated even the hopes I'd thought holiest, but the renunciation of my will was necessary. As quarantine began, I definitely related to how Rafael felt when he first entered the monastery. As I gave up my plans for the coming year and incurred all the financial losses that come with canceled flights and lost research grants, I started to imagine myself having given up everything for Jesus, but I soon came to realize what Raphael realized when he had to leave and come back as an oblate. He hadn't actually given everything up to become a monk because he was still attached to the idea of being a monk. 
I may have given up some material things, but I was still attached to the idea of control over my life. It was only when Rafael came back as an oblate, without his physical health, stuck in the monastery's infirmary, that he had truly given up everything, even his own plans. For me, and probably for a lot of us, that has been the hardest part of taking up the cross that is this time of quarantine and chaos. Giving up plans, giving up not just the present, but also the future. Now, diabetes wasn't the only reason Rafael suffered. He lived in a time a lot like ours. The final years of his life overlapped with the Spanish Civil War and all the unrest leading up to it. Rafael witnessed a great deal of violence, both in the more obvious form of social uprisings and in the more normalized form of endemic poverty. He wrote about it all as if it affected him just as personally and viscerally as his own physical pain. One day in prayer, he writes, God takes me by the hand and leads me through a field where there are tears, wars, sorrows, and sufferings, saints and sinners. He brings me close to the cross and showing me all this with his gaze, he says, all this is mine. Do not despise it, you whom I love so much. In this passage, I see why divine providence wanted me to get to know Saint Raphael. This is the message God has for me as I grow weary of trying to become holy in this exhausting, chaotic world. And maybe it's the message he has for you too. Do not despise this world, for it is God's. Saint Raphael died in 1938 at the age of 27, before the Spanish Civil War even ended. God didn't promise him an earthly future or prosperity or peace. He promised him a daily cross and then eternal life. He makes the same promise to me, to all of us. Saint Rafael Arnaiz Baron, pray for us. Hello everyone. My name is Kayla Garcher and I'm a postulant with the Daughters of Saint Paul which is an order of religious sisters who seek to proclaim the gospel through the modern means of media and publication. Today, I am going to be sharing with you St. Augustine, who has been a companion of mine through my conversion and through my study of theology. St. Augustine was born in the year 354 in the North African town of Thagast. He was born to a zealous Christian mother, St. Monica, and a pagan father. From an early age, Augustine was caught in the winds of his father's paganism and the desires of the flesh. Later, he would find that even minor boyish pranks were weighted with meaning. He notes in his work, The Confessions, that stealing pears with his friends was something that was done just for the pleasure of doing something evil. At the age of 17, Augustine set off to school in Carthage. There he immersed himself in the writings of Cicero and Manichaean philosophers and cast off his mother's Christian religion. He found scripture distasteful and inaccessible compared to the works of Cicero. After his studies, he taught rhetoric, with some Manichaeanism on the side. He found himself teaching in the city of Milan, and there went to hear the impressive oratory of St. Ambrose. He was inspired by his preaching, and soon dropped his Manichaeanism in favor of Neoplatonism. During this time, Augustine was still struggling with his fleshly passions and had a concubine who had given him a son. For years, he had sought to overcome these passions, but nothing seemed to help. One afternoon, as he was wrestling with these matters while walking through a garden, he heard a child's voice repeating, take up and read. Nearby lay a collection of St. Paul's epistles, and he picked them up and read the first thing that he saw from Romans chapter 13. Not in reviling and drunkenness, 
not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. St. Augustine later wrote, No further would I read, nor needed I. For instantly, at the end of this sentence, by a light as if it were of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. He immediately resigned his professorship and was baptized by St. Ambrose. He lived out a fruitful vocation as a bishop, guarding his flock against the confusion of Manichaeanism, Donatism, and Pelagianism. Augustine is perhaps the most significant Christian thinker after St. Paul. We have more than five million of his words preserved in writing, and a great number of his written works have shaped much of medieval and modern Catholic thought, so much so that St. Augustine is formally recognized as a doctor of the church. I have a deep companionship with St. Augustine because we had similar experiences of conversion. I was raised a cradle Catholic and loved attending mass with my family, but when I entered middle school, I entered into a deep depression after some difficult family situations. As I struggled with my mental health, I sought comfort in many earthly desires, which led me into a life of sin. My struggle with the vices of sin soon led me into a very dark place where I was the farthest away from God I have ever been in my life. One evening I found myself in Eucharistic adoration and there God spoke to my heart. I was led to a radical conversion and fell deeply in love with the faith. Years later, as I wrote my spiritual autobiography and application for postulancy, I found a likeness to St. Augustine's journey outlined in his confessions. I discovered, as did St. Augustine, that God never abandoned me in those years of darkness, but rather that he was constantly pursuing me, but I couldn't hear his voice because I was so surrounded by many earthly pleasures. It just so happens that I completed and submitted my spiritual autobiography on August 28th, which is the feast day of St. Augustine. I focused on St. Augustine's confessions in my senior thesis, and one of my favorite lines is the following, You pierced my heart with your word, and I fell in love with you. But the sky and the earth too, and everything in them, all these things around me are telling me that I should love you. And since they never cease to proclaim this, those who do not hear them are left without excuse. St. Augustine, pray for us. Intercessions is a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. To support this podcast and others like it, visit patreon.com slash grexley. To listen to other Grexley podcasts, visit grexley.com.